Nice to see you. Let's give me a little wave across the room. Yeah, there we go. Oh, nice to see you. Waving at you online as well. Yeah. Great. <clears throat> well. <laughs> well, I want to point out something else in that little transition section on your worship guide. At the very bottom, there's a QR code, and if you follow that, you can fill out a form which will help to inform our church council on what they could inform our district supervisor about in terms of some questions about our community and our church. So that is a way that you can be involved. So you can go and fill that out. I think there's just eight or nine questions, and uh, that's a way for you to contribute to that conversation. Well, for the next few weeks, um, we are going to be in a teaching series until we depart, which uh, I've simply called Anchored in Hope. And um, looking forward to that as we work through some of Acts 20 uh, together. Um, if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn to Acts 20, we'll be there in a few moments. And uh, as we typically do, you'll have an opportunity to contribute to this conversation by texting in uh, to the number that you see up there. That number will reappear in a few moments. Okay, well, let's stand together and let's read a couple of these scriptures. You read the words in yellow, and I'll read the references and the words in white. Ecclesiastes 3, 1. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Romans 1, 16 through 17, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, life is change. <laughs> I know. I've talked to a couple of you over the last few weeks who are very excited about anything change related. Most are not. <laughs> but from the very beginning of our lives, change is happening to us. Our bodies grow and change. The first third of our lives is constant body change. And then our bodies grow and adapt to our environment. We become ready for new environments and new experiences. And so we are thrust into a changing world as changing beings. And as we are changing, there's circumstances around us change. Life is change. You've noticed, you've heard it said, that the one constant unchanging thing is that there will be change. <laughs> Ecclesiastes, we just read it, says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. This is the, the wisdom of Solomon is attributed to writing Ecclesiastes. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful summation of what we experience, that God has created a world in which change is always happening. If it were up to us, we might try to construct a world in which we can 
stay steady and stable. And that's the world we'd want to create, but it's not the world that God has created. Now I've realized, and maybe you've realized, that I don't mind the changes that I choose. (laughs) But change that is done to me, I don't enjoy. And I think it is true that when we have some agency or some choice in the matter, we are able to navigate our emotions a bit better. But when someone else's choices or the circumstances around us create change, we tend to squirm. Maybe the writer of Proverbs was reflecting on this when uh, they wrote, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Yeah. Together as a community, we are enduring the changes brought about by us Hovitz's decision to move to Pennsylvania. (laughs) Our church is now going through change. And in a way, we as individuals and together will go through the stages of grief. Um, (laughs) And I've heard some reflections back from many of you over the last couple of weeks that would suggest that you are in a particular stage of grief. First, denial. Um, People have responded like, oh, wow, great, awesome, we'll keep going. And I think it's a little bit of denial, like this does affect our church community and and it's okay, but it's natural to deny. (laughs) I've heard a lot of anger and some more anger this morning. I've heard the booze, okay. Here are some phrases that I've heard. You suck. I've heard that, and that's right. (laughs) I'm just quoting our congregation. So their language is on them, not me. Here's the next one. Pennsylvania sucks. That is another one. Somebody had a great idea. This is probably anger. We could raise a lot of money for a kid's camp by charging people to throw a pie at your face. That's what they've said. Yeah. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Bargaining. This other stage that we go through, trying to negotiate, somebody said, well, that's a long commute, but you could (laughs) make it work. Somebody else said, well, what if we kidnap a child of yours? Will you come back then? (laughs) We can negotiate here, you know, there's some, let's put it on the table. (sighs) Depression, stage of grief. We always lose pastors. I can't learn from anyone but you and Danya. And then acceptance. I've heard already. Um, people say, God very well might use this change for our good. And then somebody said, they have an epiphany. Wait, the next pastor might be better than you. <laughs> and I said, yes, that is my prayer. Moving into acceptance. You've noticed that I've drawn these in a circle. We, we cycle through these. And you'll have various moments of this, not just with the changes here, but we go through this in our own lives as we go through the various changes that happen to us. Changes in our employment or changes in our income or changes in inflation or interest rates or job loss, or reduction in hours, or the new manager that you can't stand, or changes in relationships. We go through breakups and divorces, 
death of a loved one. And it, it puts us into a season of change in which we are dealing with grief. Changes in health or physical abilities. Diagnosis of an illness or an injury. Some people in our church are going through some really difficult things along those lines. It's so disruptive, and now you're negotiating grief. Changes in living arrangements. Moving to a new home or a new apartment. Changes in personal beliefs or values. Somebody texted me this last week that they are in another stage of their own deconstruction, wrestling with what is the Christian faith about, and it can be discombobulating, and that can even send you into grief. Changes in routine or daily life, these things happen. We get new responsibilities, or we lose some of our free time, or we gain this free time in retirement, and we suddenly feel a bit listless and a bit lost, a bit adrift, and we're negotiating grief. Over the next few weeks, we'll be teaching through Acts 20. And in Acts 20, which is the account of what happened in the early church after Jesus resurrected and then ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And Paul is a prominent character throughout the book of Acts. And in this chapter 20, he's made a big change in his ministry and he's preparing to leave a people who loved him and a people that he loved, the Ephesians. And in this chapter, we'll discover that we must anchor ourselves in hope. At every stage of the grief process and through every change that we go through, we must anchor ourselves in the deep waters of Jesus Christ. Laney mentioned this scripture, Hebrews 6, 19. This hope in Christ is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So for the whole series, we're going to use the metaphor of, of a sailing a ship onto a new voyage. And this morning, in the metaphor, we have arrived at port. And we see the ship in harbor. And we must decide what sorts of provisions to take for our journey. The message title today, Setting Sail. And hope. And today we will talk about the importance of setting our hope in Christ as we embark on every new journey or every change or every difficulty that we walk through, our hope in Christ. And there are many provisions that we could take along on our journey, but two today. First, a command to serve humbly, and then a compass that points us to Jesus. So, a bit of context here as we move towards Acts 20. In Acts 19, just before, Paul goes to Ephesus and he's there for about three years and he develops a solid church and, and, and the church community is people coming to repentance and there's the atmosphere of the whole city is changing. So much so that a local man named Demetrius stirs up trouble because the preaching of the gospel that is changing lives is shrinking the business of the idol makers. How awesome would that be? If Christians, <laughs> the preaching of the word, some of the idolatry of our culture started to get a little uncomfortable because we're not consuming as much as we once were. But because of this commotion and because Demetrius raises the alarm, there's a huge riot that breaks out. 
and there's a huge demonstration in the city culminating in a huge gathering in the amphitheater. And the amphitheater in Ephesus is, is well known in the ancient world. It was built during the Hellenistic period in the third century BC, so hundreds of years before. It could seat up to 25,000 people. It was used for a variety of events, including NFL games. No, sorry. <laughs> Just make sure you're listening. Just like, you know, he's talking history. Okay. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> <You know. laughs> no, but including, this is interesting, gladiatorial games, theatrical performances, public assemblies. And the city gathers in this amphitheater and they are in an uproar over the Christians that are actually disrupting the economy. Paul is there and he wants to go into the amphitheater and, and answer and his fellow Christians said, hey, how about we don't do that? <laughs> he didn't. Later, Paul would be executed in Rome, but not yet. He discerned that he was supposed to leave Ephesus, go to Jerusalem, and then on to Rome. And so he began his departure. And that's where we pick up on the story. The, scripture, the verses are on uh, the slides behind me, picking up in verse 13. And I don't know how to pronounce all these words, so, but neither do you, so you don't know that. So, <laughs> Paul went by land to Assos, where he had arranged for us to join him. This is Luke writing, and Luke is with him. While we traveled by ship, he joined us there, and we sailed together to Mytilene. <laughs> the next day, we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day, we crossed to the island of Samos, <laughs> and a day later, we, we arrived at Miletus. Miletus, hmm, who knows? Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, for the Feast of Pentecost. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived... He declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia, which is where Ephesus is, until now I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God, and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. <laughs> but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So let's imagine the scene. Paul, with the Ephesian elders, they have experienced the highs and the lows of ministry together. Together, they've seen God move in profound ways. They had all endured the trauma of the riot. Paul had gathered the elders from Ephesus for one last time. And so let's make some observations about what Paul says and what Paul has modeled, the provisions and plan for the journey. The first provision. A command, it's not a command, Paul's describing himself, but I think it's a command to us in this season, and it's a command to us in all of the seasons of change that we go to. And this is it. 
Do the Lord's work humbly, even when it hurts. Paul says in verse 19, there I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears I have endured the trials that came to me. Folks, our identity is in Jesus Christ and him alone. Nothing about the church is about the glorification of any one person. Rather, the church, we are together a group of people who are submitted to the one king, the one captain, Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. Somebody say amen. He is the one who can and has fully laid down his life for us, the sheep of his pasture. So our first provision is an assignment. It's to stay focused on the humble tasks of doing the Lord's work, even when it's tough, even when it hurts. For us Americans, sentimentality is our great enemy. Sentimentality is basically life lived upon emotions. And if I feel good, that means that things are good. If I feel poorly, that means that things are somehow wrong or off. One of our great problems in the American consumeristic motif that we are all immersed in, even beyond our awareness, is to assume that suffering is bad and must be avoided. And as this myth lives and breathes in us and all around us, we end up constructing lives that are aimed at a good life that results in as little pain as possible. And that's fine for the general U.S. citizen. But for the Jesus follower, we have to repent of pain avoidance. Why? Because Jesus showed us that love is actually gritty. Jesus said that we are to love one another as he has loved us. And this means being formed in Christ so much that we are actually willing to suffer for Christ. Whenever our preferences, our ego, and our habit of pain avoidance get mixed up into our faith and get mixed up into what life is presenting to us, we can easily get sidetracked. And the American Christian is easily sidetracked. Peter gives some encouragement and Peter wrote to people that were suffering under great trial and persecution at the hands of an evil emperor named Nero, who had this pastime of taking Christians and putting them in barrels and dousing them with oil and lighting them on fire for his garden parties. That's what he enjoyed doing to Christians. And Peter encourages them to endure suffering. And then towards the end of his first letter, he says this, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all of your worries and your cares to God for he cares about you. What are the worries and cares that these people were facing? <laughs> the possibility that they could end up being a lantern, not sold at Ikea, <laughs> but fashioned by evil Nero. So in a time of change, in a time of discomfort, in a time when we are not getting perhaps what we want. By the way, I'm talking from the presumption that you don't want me to leave. I recognize that's not true for every person. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'm quite okay with that. <laughs> the Lord will sort us out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> but in a time like this, for thinking about the metaphor of the ship, it is time to swab the deck of the ship by staying faithful and committed to the body of Christ. Serve as much as you can. Step up and be willing to do the gritty and humble work of service. Not one of us is in charge of our whole journey. Jesus is, but we do have work to do while we are on the journey. And now for New Hope, it is more important than ever. And also as I'm thinking about all the changes and challenges that you go through in your life I would encourage you, stay faithful and do humble work in, a, in these evil days that we live in. Do the loving, gritty work of serving your fellow man in these days as we go through change. Resist the temptation to be a consumer that runs as soon as there's pain or discomfort. Amen. Resist it at all costs because that's what will testify in, an, in, a, in a really a flimsy culture that we live in. I will testify to the Lord. If we decide to become people and be people who endure challenges like our Lord Jesus did, we develop the fortitude and the endurance to cross all of the difficult terrains that he will call us into. In a way, we could say that we are in a time of testing and the Lord is wondering who will be faithful, who will be tough and gritty, because he's wondering who else he can send to even more challenging dynamics within this world. Right. Who else can he trust with his mission? Who else will show themselves to be approved for the places and the people that he wants to fling us towards and into? Brendan reminded us last week, therefore go and make disciples. And Jesus is wondering who among them is tough enough to go at my command. Provision number two. Somebody's got music playing. That's great. It's like a backtrack for the preaching. <laughs> Provision number two. We are given a compass. In verses 20 to 21, Paul says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. So a compass, we, we use GPS devices these days, but a compass is a tool that helps us find direction when we're out exploring. It works by using the Earth's magnetic field, and it has this tiny magnet inside of it that always points us to the North Pole, and that helps us to know the direction that we're facing and then subsequently which direction to go. That's what a compass does. It keeps us oriented to what is true. Now, fewer and fewer of us use compass these days, but what would a good, what would a compass, what good would a compass be if true north was as fickle as you and I? What good would a compass be? It's back to some of those comments on sentimentality. If we do not compass ourselves accurately, I don't think that's a verb, but I just made it a verb. If we do not compass ourselves accurately towards Jesus Christ, there's no way that we can stay on the journey that he has called us to. The certainty of true north is like the gospel that Paul courageously spoke to the Ephesians over and over. And so we must, in the same way, receive this, repent of our sins and turn to God through faith in the Lord Jesus. 
That is our true compass that keeps us on track. Now, there's a bunch in these couple of verses to unpack, but I'll just take a couple of them. First of all, Paul hasn't shrank back from telling the Ephesians what they needed to hear. What they may have wanted to hear was not important. What they would have wanted to hear was not important. What we tend to want to hear is formed by our habit of making God into our own image. Every human being, since we have given in to the deception of the enemy, where the enemy said, did God really say? Did he make any boundaries at all? Come on. As soon as he said that and mankind walked out of that and began to do our own thing, we have constantly been renegotiating who God is and therefore forming the decision-making power. But Paul says, I told you what you needed to hear. I would encourage you as you are praying for your next pastor or pastor couple that will be coming, would you pray for a pastor who would continue what Donya and I have endeavored to do, to be people who attempt to tell you the truth and refuse to be ear ticklers. Pray that the next pastoral team, pray that the teaching ministry of the church, that the preaching ministry of the church, that the discipleship ministry that continues would be firmly based in the truth of Jesus Christ and all other fallacies and false gospels would, would simply melt away. Pray that we would be a congregation that would be courageous enough to hear what God would want to be speaking to the church in Northeast Salem in 2023 and 24 and beyond. Pray, as, as Jesus would say, you who have ears, let him hear. Pray that your ears would be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that the soil of your heart would be open to what God wants to do. Pray that you would be courageous enough to say, I, I am uncomfortable. I am, I am challenged. I'm, my heart is being spoken to. I'm being contradicted, but praise God, I'm being contradicted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee every one of you that the gospel of Jesus Christ will make every single person uncomfortable at some point. I guarantee you that what he wants to disrupt within you will feel just like that, a disruption. I guarantee you that God will contradict your ideas of what love is. He will contradict your ideas of how, how we are supposed to live in the world. He will contradict your ideas of anthropology. That is the makeup of what humans actually are. The gospel of Jesus Christ will contradict all of that to the end of bringing us into conformity to the image of his dear son. And it will cost us something. So pray for that. Paul mentions the one message that message which was for Jews and Greeks. Essentially, at this time, the world was divided between Jews and non-Jews. So, for Paul, he is saying that the gospel message, squarely based in repentance, is for everyone. Everyone is called to bow before God and to repent. And to repent. This is for everyone. And the vision that I see emerging here in Northeast Salem is one of multi multicultural opportunities. 
that we are living in a day and age where God has seen it fit for Northeast Salem to be a melting pot of cultures, to be a tossed salad of cultures that are all converging here in Northeast Salem. The future is incredibly multicultural and my mind just gets blown and actually I've argued with God about leaving this because it is my dream. Because if you open up the book of Acts, what you see is a multicultural reality, a multi-ethnic reality, a multi-racial reality coming together underneath the banner of Jesus Christ. And that is happening right here in your midst. This is the one message is for the Jews. It's for the Greeks. It's for the Africans. It's for the Middle Easterns. It's for the Hispanics and Latinos. It's for the white people and the Caucasians. And it's for the Islanders and everybody that God is bringing to Northeast Salem. It is for the them all, Jesus Christ unifying and bringing this community together to be a testament to his goodness, to his, his love, his very likeness. He who formed all things at the very beginning is renewing and bringing all things back together underneath the banner of Jesus Christ, the ministry of reconciliation, taking these things that are disparate and apart from one another and joining them together underneath the banner of Jesus Christ. This is the one message that this church is well on its way to be able to embrace, to live out. Pray that God would continue to do just that. Paul says this in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first, but also the Gentile, that's all of us. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Hmm. Our ship is setting sail. Our provisions, a humble attitude of being willing to do the Lord's work even when it hurts. Our provision, a compass, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is reorienting us and challenging us away from our preferences and our thoughts. And we is launching us into his thoughts, which are higher than ours. We point our lives towards the immovable truth that God sent his son into the world so that God might be lifted up before all men. So here's your chance to contribute to the conversation. <laughs> A couple of questions and you have three minutes. <clears throat> have you experienced any changes in your life recently that made you feel uncomfortable or hurt? <laughs> and the follow-up question, how can you hold on to Jesus during tough and uncertain times? The second question, and what ways have you struggled with becoming too attached to your feelings and preferences in your faith journey? How has this affected your ability to handle challenges and stay committed to doing God's work? You have uh, three minutes. Yeah, there's the phone number right there. <clears throat> I'd love to read your thoughts. We'll respond uh, before we come to the next part of our service.
Well, I'm grateful for uh, your responses. Uh, let's see. Oh, they continue to come in. Okay. I'm going to reflect back a couple of things that have been mentioned. Um, I'm not going to address the whole you leaving thing because everyone's going to say that. <laughs> but I will say that I feel uncomfortable with our financial situation. I am uncomfortable that there doesn't seem to be changing and there doesn't seem to be a clear answer of what to do. We are trusting, but I have moments of fear and annoyance at God. I think the Psalms would sit well. Where are you? How long? Many of the Psalms are laments, which is us, based upon the circumstances of our life, essentially taking our complaint to the Lord, who is the one that can help our hearts. So maybe that's a point of application for many in this room as you are going through this disruption or another disruption like this financial situation that was disclosed, it's time to take your complaint to the Lord and be honest with him and then trust for him to reorient your heart. So much of the Christian journey is trusting him and not ourselves. So much of it. And it's easy to say, right? Hard to do. Yeah. <clears throat> Somebody said, my biggest struggle is staying consistent with the goals and direction of my life because the needs and wants of my life and children often contradict that. Whew. It's hard for me to lead through that dissonance. I often just try to take care of their needs and neglect my own. Ah, oh, very challenging and and in times to say, focus on what God is saying. Somebody gives a little testimony. They said, after losing a long-time job, I trusted God and he never failed to provide. My faith in him was sustained by all my past experiences of his faithfulness. Kind of like we sang this morning. Mm. Here's somebody giving um, perspective, advice for all of us. How to hold on in tough times. Be still and know that God is God which is an invitation from God in the scriptures. Be still and know that I am God. <clears throat> uh, somebody wrote a question. How can Jesus be the good shepherd when religion only allows those with a ticket of acceptability to board his boat? Yeah. I would contradict that statement in saying that all are welcome to allow Jesus to be the shepherd which means that he's the leader. All are welcome to come as they are, and all are welcome to come underneath the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. That the scriptures, when they say, when they call Jesus Lord, Kyrios, oh, my parents are here. I didn't even know that. <laughs> there they are. Hello. <laughs> Friendly faces in the midst of all the fire. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They probably have their own pies to throw right now. I don't know. <laughs> Lord, which is like the one in charge of it all. It's a very political term. 
the captain of the whole thing. So all are welcome to be shepherded by Jesus. None of us are welcome to tell him what that means. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Colossians says that he was the one who created you and I. And so as he has created us, he knows exactly what we need. And we may disagree with that because we've been formed in a culture that tells you that you know what you need and you can do it that way. So all are welcome to come underneath the lordship of Jesus. I have been struggling with being too attached to my emotions because of the struggles of today. People want disowning me, people causing drama, people trying to dwindle down my beliefs. It's changed my conflict resolution by causing me to be more angry at little things and not look to God when I need him most. Anybody relate to that? When the heat is on, you end up making it worse. Yeah, when the heat is on, it feels very disappointing and you feel disconnected. You've noticed that they're, whether overt or, or what's the opposite of overt? I don't know. Covert. Covert. Thank you. Overt or covert, whether implicit or explicit. There are all sorts of forces that might be seeking to persecute us as Christ's followers, to disrupt us, to discourage us. This is why every year in the Christian calendar, we celebrate the passion of Jesus Christ. The passion is the week of his suffering at the end. We remember that we're being formed. It's called a cruciform life. We're being formed as people of the cross. People that, yes, we will go through persecution and difficulty. And Jesus actually, perhaps towards the beginning of his teaching ministry, as Matthew records it, in the Beatitudes, he says, you are blessed when people insult you and persecute you on account of me. And so as we experience, this is part of the Christian life. As we experience that kind of persecution and we experience that kind of discouragement, as we experience that kind of assault, we need to go to the Lord and ask him, how is it that my suffering can make my faith complete within you? How is it that this challenge and this present difficulty of my life can conform me into the image of your dear son? How is it? How is it that I can experience the blessing or the flourishing that comes on account of being persecuted. How is it, God? I don't know all of the answers, but please be true to your word because that's what your word says. That's what the son of God said. That's what he lived out. And that's why we celebrate with flowers and springtime exaltations every year because he is risen from the dead and thereby all of our sufferings are validated. All of our sufferings are made to be something that can bring beauty out of ashes and out of the trash heap of our lives that we've participated with, that others have done to us, that the circumstances of our world and its fallen state have led us towards and through all of those things, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, can be redeemed, reconciled, and made new. I'm telling you, the Christian gospel is not for wimps. It is for people that are willing to embrace the challenge of following Jesus Christ.
well, there's like 30 responses, but I don't think I should do 30 messages. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> hmm. Somebody wrote, the Hovitz moving to Pennsylvania has made me feel hurt. I can't hold on to Jesus because I know new hope will be in good hands. And this is what God wants for the Hovitz. That is a special message. Thank you. Somebody tried to call me, but I'm probably not going to answer that. <laughs> Unless the caller ID says, Jesus. <laughs> now you all have ideas. Like, how can we make that happen? <laughs> okay. <sighs> well, lots of other good stuff in there. Thank you for your responses as you walk through. Some scriptures as we deal with the various griefs, even the griefs that are caused by being a Jesus follower. Jeremiah 31, 13, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. <laughs> For those of you who are dealing with anger around this or in other areas of your life, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit for anger resides in the, lap, resides in the laps of fools. That's Ecclesiastes 7, 9. <laughs> Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. And finally, just a reminder, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven and then to finish, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Anchored in hope. Look forward to sharing more of what God has put into my heart. Is I want to do my, my best. Donnie and I to do our best to invest in you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may it be said that I could say honestly, I didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. I told you what you needed to hear based upon Jesus Christ. Hmm.